Tell me what that was, would you please, ladies and gentlemen? That was just a little tune to start off. That was called What You Gonna Do, Jerry Lewis by Heavy the World. Welcome us to episode, I don't even know where we are, 66, 67 of Eventually Super Train. Hooray, everyone. I think it's 60. Yeah. Uh, welcome. My name is Dan. I'm your host. Yeah, I'm just hanging around this afternoon. You know, it's been a bit of a long week. I'm wrapping up the editing on the episode, so I thought I'd record the um, the opening, and I may record the closing soon after. Yeah, I don't know. I pulled the curtain back. I don't actually record the opening, then listen to the entire episode and record the closing. Sometimes I recorded much, uh, much closer than that. So, eventually, Super Train, uh, episode 66. What you gonna do, Jerry Lewis? What you gonna do when you die? All right, enough of that. Uh, so this is episode 66, six, right, of Eventually Super Train. How are you all doing? My name is Dan. This is the short-lived TV show podcast. This is a bit of a chaotic opening. I apologize. It's just one of those things. This episode 66, that's what happens. Two-thirds of the way to 100. Woohoo! Unless this is 67, then... We're all screwed. I'm kidding, of course. What do we got going on this episode? Amy the Conqueror and myself are discussing episode, wow, five of Erie, Indiana. Then I'm discussing episode five of The Last Precinct. Then the great Gorblimey is back, and we are going to be talking talking about pissing. It's going to be great. You guys are going to love this. Man to Man with Dean Lerner, episode two. And if you all haven't turned off the episode already, please join me. We're going to the Midwest. Better weird than dead. Episode 5, America's Scariest Home Video, October 20th, 1991, written by Carl Schaefer, directed by Sam Pillsbury. Marshall and Simon are heading out. It's Halloween. Hooray! One of them has a Gorbachev mask. One of them has a George Bush mask. And they're going to go out and they're going to have a great time. With Simon's brother, Harley Schwarzenegger uh, Holmes, is, is being babysat by... Marshall's mom. Marshall's sister is upstairs studying for a big test and dad is out and about. As Marshall and Simon are getting ready to go, mom gets a call. She has to go pick up dad. Take care of Harley while I'm gone. Okay, don't bother your sister. Okay, so all three of them are sitting there. There's a monster movie playing on TV. They grab a video camera and they start to goof around with the video camera trying to do like America's Funniest Home Video style stuff. And Marshall keeps ending up on the short end of it. Harley's a bit mischievous. So uh, Marshall and Simon go away to do something, and Harley begins diddling with uh, the remote control. He bites the remote control and somehow winds up in the movie, and he switches place with the mummy in the movie. So when Marshall and Simon come back down, they see Harley in the movie 
wrecking the place, throwing things around, harassing the leading lady, breaking the sets, just being a mischievous little jerk, which, um, yeah, kind of uh, scares the heck out of the boys. And then there's the mummy. Uh, they they end up they end up running out of the, the house and then as they're they're coming back in with a bunch of trick or treaters, the sister is very mad that that Marshall and Simon are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is take care of the trick or treaters. And where is Harley? And then the mummy's in the house and she shoes the mummy out of there. And eventually the mummy gets back in and you know attacks and they have to. Eh, I don't know how much I want to ruin here, but I don't want to ruin too much. Basically, what they have to do is they have to switch switch them. The mummy has to be put back into the movie, or at least back into TV. And Harley has to be whoosh, traded out. And, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it within the chat, but let me just say that um, with the mummy, all is not as it seems. So stay scary, everyone, and let's join Amy the Conqueror and myself talking about this episode. And as I'm doing all that talking there, you're thinking, hey, Dan. Is Amy the Conqueror there? Why hasn't she spoken? What's going on? Where is Amy? Amy, where are you? Hey, I'm here. Hey! How you doing, Amy? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing all right. I'm going to have a sip of water, and then I'm going to ask you what you thought of the episode. But I'm not going to ask you until after I've had a sip of water, so you just wait right there. Got it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Oh, man. Whew. Uh, all right. Talk to you guys next week. I'm kidding, of course. Amy, what did you think of Scariest Home Videos? Um, I thought it was an okay episode. I, I was a little disappointed as it was the Halloween episode, and I didn't. I felt like it could have been better. Mm. I enjoyed it, but yeah. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, it could be more Halloweeny, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> if that makes any no, sense. That, no, no. I, 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 I mean, I get it with the mummy and everything, and I did like the. I did like the storyline of the mummy character and the actor, and I enjoyed that. But I was a little disappointed by it being a Halloween episode. I, I, I think they could have done more. I, I think I, I like the concept that at the very beginning, as as the two of them are getting ready to go out, Marshall specifically says, we never made it out of the house. Now, technically, that's not quite right, because they do make it out of the house at one point. But they don't get very far. Right. And I, I like the concept of setting a Halloween episode with two kids who want to go trick-or-treating but can't get out of the house for whatever reason. I like that. And I, <laughs> I, I, also, like, I also like the fact that unlike, say, um, the previous episode, uh, The Losers, which kind of has one through line and just follows it all the way down, which is, which is very much um, a sort of 60s, 70s, 80s television kind of thing. Um, this episode has like three or four different things going on with not uh, with the kid in the TV, with the mummy, with the sister, with the parents getting lost in the fog, which is much more modern an A plot, a B plot, a C plot, a D plot, which I thought kept it moving along nicely. <laughs> there is as much as as much as I love the concept that we think this mummy is out to do whatever it is this mummy's getting up to, but it's actually the actor as the mummy who's just so tired of right. being a mummy all the time. <laughs> in one respect, I really like that because that's kind of, okay, that makes sense. It's, he's mm -hmm. in a movie, so there you go. But, and in a, but in another respect, it was almost like, I would have actually preferred like a killer mummy loose in the house. Wouldn't that have been like if they had just, yeah. gone, if they had just gone wild? That's and, kind of what I was, I was feeling. 
it's I, I mean yeah it's it's kind of it's i i like the fact that they did the twist on it and i love the moment in the end where they don't zap him back into the movie they zap him into like a spuds mckenzie style surfing commercial with hot <laughs> gals and bikinis i like that but but there is it's 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 funny in that like when when Carl Schaefer wrote it, I can see what he's doing where he's kind of, he's playing with your expectations, which are awesome, but he's kind of, the moment he does that and makes it just a really old actor as the mummy, all the sort of, it, I mean, it, you don't sit there and go, ah, but it's sort of, it's, it's kind of, it happens and you're like, oh, okay, there really is no... There's no threat right there. They just have to figure out how to swap these people, these right. guys. Uh, and so, so I while exactly. I, yeah, while I appreciate what he did, I think the choice lessened the excitement of it. I think if that's right, if that sounds right. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I can and, agree with that. Yeah, um, but but uh, but but overall, I mean, there's some good stuff. I like when when. Um, the, the the little brother there whose name I've just forgotten um, drops a lizard down Marshall's pants. I think that's a good time. Oh, Harley, yes. Harley, yes, Harley, Harley Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I mean, he did <laughs> he did uh, very little, though, like to create too much chaos when they were like talking about him like he's this little yes. monster. He's actually just sitting there. <laughs> I'm like, when's he going to do something? And then he did the iguana or the lizard. Yeah, the lizard was... Down the pants, so... Yeah. That's that's classic. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if again, um, maybe maybe the um, because in the previous episode we had that thing where Marshall semi overreacts to the loss of the briefcase, but we don't realize that fully until the end. I'm wondering if this is like Simon has overreacted to his brother. I mean, Simon does have bite marks on his arm from his brother, and I'm wondering if this is something. That's true. Yeah, because there's um. Because uh, what, what is it in the previous episode? There's what is it? Uh, my parents are suffering from eerie denial, and we know there's we know there's weird stuff going on in eerie. But I'm wondering if some of the the odd, if if occasionally it isn't just two young kids, you know, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, they're young kids. I mean, I'm, I was going to say young men. No, they're kids. Um, just kind of slightly overreacting yeah. to the. They're, I guess I guess what it is is they are reacting properly to the weird crap that happens, like mummies escaping from movies and women seeing their, their <laughs> right. children in Tupperware. But they're overreacting to things like seeing your mom and dad argue or, or, um, or having right. a brother who's a bit mischievous, you know. And, and, right. And, and, and so, so I mean, they chain him to a bowling ball. They chain him to a bowling ball. Yes, they do. <laughs> and then he, he sticks his face in the video <laughs> camera they have set up, and then he bites the remote and all yeah. these other things. But, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, when he gets inside the movie, he tears a woman's dress off, which is not not so nice. <laughs> uh, but, 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 and yet, and no. yet, I, I, Amy, how would you react if you were watching The Redeemer and suddenly you were – you know, sitting at the last the, the Last Supper table with those characters eating the mashed potatoes <laughs> oh, no. or something. You know, what would, what would you? How would you react? I mean, would yeah. you go knowing you might be about to die? Would you just go hog wild, or would you, you know, or you know, would you? The moment that door, yeah, opens, probably. If yeah. I'm at the table, I might as well. 
Uh, I might as well eat and then, you know, have a couple drinks. Yes. Might as well just go with the blood, I guess. Yeah, because this ain't going to get better. In that movie. And... This ain't going to get better. Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, no, that's a no. movie we both <laughs> like. We, that's a movie we both like, so I, 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 we could uh, we could talk about that one. Um, yep. But I, yeah, I, I, I. I, yeah, I, I do wonder now, and this is actually, I, this hadn't occurred to me until I said it right now. I wonder if if part of the sort of thing behind the show is um, two kids reacting properly to weirdness that no one else can see, but overreacting to other things that other people would be calmer about. You know, just like take it in stride. I don't right. know. I don't know. Um, we'll... Right. we'll 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 put that on the back burner. That that might be something. But yeah, overall, yeah. I, I I like that. Um, I like that. There's a bunch of stuff going on in here. Uh, I like the twist, like I said. But I don't think it dramatically makes it more interesting. I just think it's a good twist. I I'm trying to think of. Oh, there's a movie. Oh gosh. Um, there's a movie uh, from the '80s, a time travel movie called Millennium. Have you seen that? I have not, no. Okay. I think it has Chris Christopherson in it, although I put him in a lot of movies where I can't remember who's in them. So I think he's in it. <laughs> it, it, is on, it is on a Blu-ray double feature from Scream or Shout Factory with one of my all-time favorite films, Rotor, which is a RoboCop ripoff from Dallas that everyone should see immediately. Put, uh, put that on your wow. list, everybody. Um, but uh, Millennium is one of... Uh, Millennium's a time travel movie, and it... it it very, it, it's it's a pretty good time travel movie, but it does one of those things where, um, it, it has like little time paradoxes and things, so that when it actually gets to the the sort of, I'm, I'm gonna get this slightly wrong, but the sort of climax, proper climax of the film occurs before the actual climax of the film because it's time travel, so like the ending <laughs> happens. But there's uh-huh. still there's still another thing. It's it's sort of like a big. This isn't quite right, but like a big catastrophe is averted. But then there's a scene where they have to clear people off of this space, because then they have to. This this I'm I'm not going to give it away. I'm I'm sort of making this up. But it's like a catastrophe is averted, and then they have to sort of hop back briefly in time to take care of some people who would have been part of the catastrophe. But they get them out of there, and so it, 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 and so what ends up happening is the big climax occurs like twenty minutes before the end, and the rest of the movie is just clearing up these sort of temporal plot lines, and it makes sense wow. in in the movie, but it's not. It becomes less exciting as it goes, and this is sort of like that when right. the mummy is in there and like coming up behind Marshall's sister, and you're like, oh my god, what's the mummy gonna do? <laughs> It's like, oh my gosh, it's a mummy, and it reminded me of, it reminded me of that great Amazing Stories episode. Have you seen the one with, I think Bronson Pinchot is in it, where he plays the, um, uh, they're in a swamp shooting a mummy movie. Have you seen, have you seen this? And um, I probably did when I was a kid, but don't remember because I used to watch the show. Yeah, it's it's and the the premise is that he's, I, th- I think it's Bronson Pinchot is playing an actor who's a mummy. And they're in a swamp shooting somewhere. And all of a sudden he gets word that his wife is, pregnant wife is in the hospital having the baby. And what ends up happening is, as he is rushing in his mummy suit to try to get to the hospital, they accidentally wake up a real mummy, who's a killer, who everyone mistakes for (laughs) the actor. 
And then they both wind up at the hospital and it all gets wacky and it's really lovely. And that's kind of what I thought was good. There, not, not that I thought it was going to be more along that sort of lines, like a craziness with this mummy in the house and we're running all over and the kids caught on the TV, but it kind of, it follows, it, it kind of has a logical progression, which isn't as exciting in my mind as if, if they'd just kind of gone wild. But but that that doesn't make it that doesn't make it a bad episode. It just makes it like you said. It's it kind of becomes less Halloweeny as it goes, which is slightly weird. Yeah. Um, but it is nice to see the yeah. parents the parents hanging out in their car in the fog when they get hit with eggs and everything and reminiscing. <laughs> That's kind of a sweet scene. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, do you do you have anything else for this one? Let me see. Scan my notes. Oh, let's see. Talk about Harley and Godzilla and no, Mothra. No, I guess not ladies. really. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Who I, I don't think we've seen before, right? I wonder if we'll see I them again. I wonder. Yeah, are they still in Marshall's pants? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's about all I have here. Yeah, I mean it's um, yeah, and they go um. And the two of them are going to go as Gorbachev and George Bush for Halloween. So, yeah, <laughs> hey, that's, that's awesome, guys. They, they look sort of like um, uh, spitting image characters from the Land of Confusion Genesis video when they have those masks on, which is a lot of fun. Yes. <laughs> um, yep. So I think, oh, you know, something, something that occurs to me, something that I love about the set, the Teller House set, is how often you see the ceiling. Did you notice that? No, because a lot of times, no, a lot a lot of times when you have sets, they'll keep the camera like eye line, you know, straight across the set. But here in the last episode, mm-hmm. when they're looking for the briefcase, and in this episode, like uh, there's a scene where they hit the mummy over the head with a shovel right around the time they discover that it's an actor, and the camera is like down mm-hmm. uh, high angle up, up at Marshall and Simon, and you can see the ceiling. So there's always you can always like see the ceiling, which you doesn't. Uh, they they don't normally go out of their way to show a ceiling, and I, I really liked that you get the feeling of right. Uh, it, oh, even though it's I, I mean it I mean I imagine it's a set. I don't imagine they're they're uh, in someone's house, but the fact that they show the ceiling so much, um, I really like it gives it gives the house a sense of enclosure, which I really like. Oh, uh, one question before I guess we wrap up. Amy, have you ever bitten a remote control? Be honest. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, me too. I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't think I have either. I mean, I, I like the, um, the wacky science of it, that they have the, the, the camera set up and the VCR, and then the kid bites the remote and suddenly winds up in the movie chasing a, a gal around. And, and, and again, right. I, 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 I mean... Yeah, when he's chasing the gal around and ripping her dress off, I suppose if I were a little idiot kid, I'd be doing that too. But I would probably be doing more what he does when they show him, like, standing at the altar, just, like, throwing props around. You know, just this little jerk. Yeah. <laughs> throwing, throwing props around, just being a jerk. Um, okay, I think that's all I have for this one. If you don't have anything else, could you please tell us where we can find yeah. you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Amy underscore the underscore conquer. Thank you so much again uh, for joining me, Amy. And um, yeah, yeah, I um, oh, and I I will just say as as much as you're thinking to yourself, Dan, you were probably one of those idiots 
who wanted to win America's Funniest Home Videos and you shot lots of videos of your family doing stupid stuff. You know, as much as you think that, you're actually correct. I did that a lot. and But I never actually sent in. <laughs> I never actually sent in a video, and I, I don't know why that was. I guess I guess at the end of the day, uh, sort of, you know, when, you know, my, my you know, Uncle JP, you know, falls out of his chair or, uh, you know, my Aunt Helen trips down some steps or, you know, my, I don't know, my grandmother falls in the pool. It's funny, but I really felt like I should keep it in the family. And so I guess my, um, <laughs> I guess sort of my conscience got the better of me there. But um, so since I've revealed that little fact to you guys, I'm just going to wrap this up and we are going to go to whatever show is next on here. I don't even know. Where are we now? Oh, I think it's the last precinct. Last Precinct, Episode 5, A Ghost of a Chance, May 9th, 1986, written by co-creator Frank Lupo and directed by Bruce Kessler. Night Train is undercover with a gangster named, as far as I can tell, Eddie Magic, who's not only a big old gangster, but is also a magician, loves doing magic. And they go to some warehouses to do drug deal with a bunch of guys from South America, and at the end of it, sadly, Eddie dies with Night Train right next to him. And even though he knows that Night Train is a cop, he still is like, well, you, you were here with me by the end, you know, and uh, then Eddie dies. But not after doing some fun magic trick type things along the way. What happens next is Night Train discovers that he has inherited half of Eddie's possessions, including a big old spooky dark house that's condemned and about to be taken down soon. Uh, Eddie's daughter gets the other half. So uh, Night Train invites all the gang from the precinct to the mansion, where there was a creepy butler and a kind of goth uh, maid, and tells everyone that somewhere in this house there's supposedly some sort of legendary diary with all sorts of Eddie's contacts and info and all kinds of stuff. It's about as MacGuffin-y as you can get. So the gang goes to look for it. Could someone be after them? Could someone be out to kill them? Could it be that maid? Could it be the butler? Could Eddie's spirit be in the house? I don't know. You'll find out when you watch the episode. So that, yeah, the last precinct, this is episode five, everybody. We're getting getting near the end of this. In the last one, we had a vampire, and we sort of had a mummy. And this one, we get a, a old dark house. I, yeah, they're kind of going through. I could, I could tell why I enjoyed this uh, show so much when I was a kid. They're kind of bouncing through uh, stuff I loved. You keep it monstery, I'm going to enjoy it. So, how does Ghost of a Chance hold up? Well, I think just the fact that it is an old dark housey type thing uh, means I do enjoy it. Means I do have a good time watching it. Having said that, I remember watching this episode a couple of years ago and I just I just was in the mood for Last Precinct and I didn't want to start at the beginning and watch it all the way through so I just put on an episode and I said I'm gonna pick this one it was just kind of fun because they're sort of they're all off duty in this and they're just kind of hanging out walking around uh, you know the old dark house you know apart from Adam West character who's still you know in his uniform but everyone else is kind of casual and hanging out and you know just just having a good time and then getting involved with all this sort of craziness and everything 
And, and so I like that. But I remember when I watched it a couple of years ago, I got to the end and my first thought was, I, I really came away from it thinking, you know, I didn't laugh out loud once at that. There are a lot of people, they're all running around in manic ways. I mean, obviously you put them all in the house until they separate, uh, which is I don't know, about halfway into it or so. Uh, they're all kind of all standing in a room just talking, and it's not the most dynamic um, things. It, it looks like a bunch of people standing in sets talking, and it's, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's yeah, not the, the, the most like, wow, the direction on this is just crazy. This is so fun. You know, it's, it, it, it reminds me va- vaguely, uh, it's, it's a dar- old Dark House adjacent, I guess, rather than old Dark House per se. Um, even... Like during the scenes when they're outside and uh, there's like a, a lightning flashes and, and winds kicking in and everything, thunder and stuff. Eh, it just, it, it looks about as real as the murder by death thing where it's it's raining on the, uh, you know, pouring rain. But then when you look outside, there's no rain, but they have it set up. So, you know, there's, there's rain coming down and thunder and lightning by some of the windows. That's, there are some moments this time through that did make me laugh. That did grab my attention. I do like the scene with Eddie uh, Magic in the beginning uh, where he keeps doing his magic, where they keep, you know, they're trying to do this drug deal. And I did like, too, are you the Argentinian? No, I'm the Nicaraguan. Are you the, uh, you know, they keep they keep saying, um, I, I didn't write down all the South American countries that they refer to themselves as, but they keep, are you this? No, I'm that. Da, da, da. And, um, yeah, there you go. I kind of I kind of like that. But the uh, the main the main thing I like is when Eddie dies. Uh, well, well, no, I, I like Eddie pulls a gun on uh, Night Train, and Night Train grabs the gun out of his hand. But immediately Eddie has another gun up his sleeve, and he's just more or less like I could do this all day. And <laughs> um, when uh, Eddie seems to be dead, and Night Train takes his pulse, and he, he sort of bends his wrist to check the pulse, and all of a sudden a deck of cards shoots out of the sleeve, and then he tries to grab Eddie's handkerchief to try to, I guess dab off his forehead or something and it's one of those multicolored goes on and on and on and on and on forever handkerchiefs i like that quite a bit i thought that was funny and there's a nice bit which is more funny um in in concept than in execution where they pull into this um space near the warehouses where there's a bunch of uh, on uh, there there are a series of garages and things on uh, or like um storage units or something on either side of the screen and they do one of those wacky things you know that they do in Scooby Doo where they you know there's just a series of doors and they run in one door and the people chase them into the other then they come out another door then the people come out of this door and that door and that door and that door they kind of do that briefly with the cars and i liked it um they kind of speed it up a bit here and there which kind of made a little two keystone cops for my taste but still i thought that was a nice bit the the stuff in the old dark house is um everyone's kind of being loose and casual and you're hoping it will um uh be a heck of a lot of fun and some of it definitely is some of it definitely there's there's some good romping around and some good fun and and uh and Alphabet plays uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of fun uh, jazzy stuff on a piano, and Mel looks good. And the um... yeah, it's it's weird because as much as I would love to, I I mean I can't I can't I can recommend this. I think it's I think it's a good time, so I, I do recommend this. Uh, there is something sort of on the disposable side of it, you know, kind of watch once and then never watch again, which is which is more or less how most folks would have seen it, or most folks wouldn't have seen it. 
yeah, it's it's worth it's worth a viewing. I I'm, I wish I had more to say on it. I mean, it's it's MacGuffin filled, and there's some bits like a thing with a, a swinging portrait of Eddie that that should be um, a little more interesting than it is. And there's a revelation in there. Well, a bit of a revelation in there, which is which is okay. And I mean, gosh, yeah, folks, I really just don't have much to say about the episode. You know, it sort of goes and goes, and there's some Scooby Doo type things happening, and and Mel sort of gets sawed in half and running around. It's mostly manic, is what it is, much like most of The Last Precinct. It's just, it's manic. And I think I think I should probably just stop talking about it now. I think this is the shortest segment ever. But yeah, it's 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 definitely worth watching. Um, it's not going to, you know, change your world, but you, you'll smile a bit and giggle a bit, and you might get a little bored occasionally, because I, I, like I said, there, there's something about the direction that's a little ponderous, that it, it doesn't have, like, the verve that it should for all these people running around. It's it must have been tougher to do old dark house films than we thought because yeah, it's it's uh, it doesn't have say like a sh- the octopus verb. Of course, sure, the octopus was really nuts and and this is kind of holding itself in a bit. But yeah, I recommend it. I think it's a good time and I I really recommend. Listen to this. So. Uh, Night Train announces that this isn't really sort of a proper casual get-together. He actually has another um, uh, reason. for. There's an ulterior motive for calling everyone together, and that is to find this diary. And then it cuts to uh, Captain Wright, Adam West's character, and he says this. You know the job, brother. Uh, it's too bad that this isn't a true social occasion. Not that any of us needs socializing, of course. Most of us have many... Many friends. We don't really need to be budniks with each other. All right, everyone. That was sorry. That yeah, the sound is really terrible on that. Uh, but and I'm moving. I'm moving around with the mic here. Enjoy me putting the mic down. First is Captain Wright doing a little Commandant Lassard there. Uh, we have many, many friends. Uh, that seems very Lassardy to me, and this would have been after the third movie, and that was when Lassard was really that was really beginning to become his thing. The many, 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 many. Uh, and I'm sorry. Does he does he say my last name? Did you did you not hear that? We don't have to be Bud Nix. He says that right, doesn't he say that? Isn't that crazy? I don't know. I mean. Uh, like I've said with the show, um, I think Adam West is, there are a lot of people mugging it up. There are a lot of people acting wacky when maybe they should take it a little more, not seriously, but you know what I mean, like police squad. That's funny because you look at, I, I always refer you to the, the, that scene in, in the first episode with we would have been here sooner, but your husband wasn't dead then. That scene, it's so funny because everyone's so serious and it's, it's so funny. And here, this stuff could be better if it wasn't asthmatic. I mean... Did I say asthmatic or asthmatic? I, I think one of the things, and I guess I do have one more thing to say. But that doesn't he say we don't have to be Bud Nicks? Didn't he say that? The, the tricky thing is that half the episode is all these people together, and how many how many people is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like nine or ten people. And so whenever anything happens, like there's a moment where, um, oh, uh, I, f- I forget which one it is. I'm always uh, I'm always uh, messing up my, my butches and Sundance. I think it's, it's uh, which one is which? I believe it's Sundance. Suddenly starts to choke, and he fa- he kind of gets out of his, his seat and falls against the door of the dining room. And all of a sudden, the whole gang gets up and rushes towards him to see, his, see what's going on. And then when they find out what's going on, they all have to go back down and sit down again. So it's, it's like when they separate, it's it it can be fun, but some bits are more fun than others. 
But when they're all together, it really is a question of, okay, 10 people here. Now, 10 people move over here and 10 people move over here. As much as I enjoyed, I do find it a bit ponderous from time to time. And again, I know what you're thinking, Dan, you really didn't like this episode. No, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I think if the show had gone on, this would have been a very important episode because it is the first episode where it's it's not them doing, doing cop stuff. They're out on their own, uh, just, well, I mean, it kind of becomes cop stuff in the end, but really they, they, they assemble there just having fun and, um, and you know, and well, that's the purpose anyways, then it all goes south as you would imagine in this big soon to be torn down, condemned home. I'm not sure why it's condemned that looked the, you know, the sets that were on look perfectly passable to me. I'm not, I'm not sure why um, they're tearing it down. I do like when the goth maid uh, takes a big bite out of a giant onion. That is something. I would have asked for hazard pay or something uh, because of that. So, again, if you like old Dark House stuff, this isn't going to completely wet your whistle. But it is a charmer, and it's nice to see the gang all in this. And there are some funny moments in this, uh, too. I, I just wish, like I said, I wish it had... I mean, it was probably shot very quickly, so there was no time to sit around and go, okay, what is the most interesting way to move 10 people from here to there to here to there and to cut amongst all these bits when they separate? There probably wasn't time for that. It was Frank Lupo probably wrote the script over a weekend, and then it was, like, done in a week and just kind of like, there you go. And, yeah, I always want, as I said before the show, I always wonder if, I mean, I feel like there were would should be more than seven episodes. Although, again, as I said at the beginning, Manimal had its 90-minute pilot movie and then seven episodes and that was it so there's a very good chance this would be you think like i said six would be would be more apropos but yeah so yeah that's a ghost of a chance everybody this is episode you know the more uh actually the more i i watch this because i have it playing right here from that that point where adam west character just spoke the more i like the uh the goth maid especially the, there's a scene where she screams and it involves the butler which is really nicely done and it's kind of implied that she may have some sort of super punching powers then they ought to have her um uh i would have liked to have seen her and a Haggerty team up and do something that would have been fun but anyways enough of my yakking we can't all be we can't, we don't need to be Bud Nicks or whatever. He does say that, right? Okay. All right, everyone. That's the last precinct. Listen to this. Live from his luxury penthouse apartment in London's glittering East End, Dean Lerner, club owner, entrepreneur, and publisher of high-class gentlemen's magazines, invites you to join him for an exclusive man-to-man. Welcome to Dan to Man with Gore Blimey. And I'm here discussing Man to Man with Dean Lerner, Episode 2. And I've got the great, the wonderful Gore Blimey with me. How are you today, Gore? 
Hello, I'm good, thanks. I should have said I was I was being pissed off or something, pissing off or something, but I couldn't think of a good enough joke for it. But uh, all will become clear. <laughs> yes, and and it's not it's not pising, it's pissing. So no, one yes. s definitely one s definitely one s. Now we this episode Dean interviews and Dean who refers to himself in the beginning of this episode as a one man brand, which. That's that's Dean for you. <laughs> I'd like I'd like to think that either Dean spends it hours is. Dean spends hours thinking up these jokes or these little things, or he has a team of people. Oh, the the puns in this. Yes, oh, the puns are brilliant. My name is Dean Lerner, and I guess you could say I'm a one man brand. I've got a club <laughs> called Dino's, a restaurant called Shea Dino's, an erotic comic called The Dino, <laughs> and a men's magazine called Jigglers. <laughs> And that was originally called Dino's Jigglers, but the image, but the image it conjured up was, at best, harrowing. <laughs> Wasn't it, Satu? Yeah. Now, this show is an attempt to bring back some refinement to modern television, a medium that's become so depraved, so venal, that I'm almost ashamed to be associated with it. And I've worked in skin. <laughs> in short, you can sum up the credos of man-to-man -man in one word. Class. The Dino, it's a, uh, um, I don't know whether you'd have it over there or not, but it's an old, um, like a, a cartoon comic book that was, um, that's been going over here for years and years and years. It's one of the very oldest, um, comic books over here for children. So it's called The Beano. So completely innocent. So he's got, uh, an erotic one called The Dino. So yeah, uh, puns are plenty in yes. this. And I do, I do wonder how many young children in the UK went in to purchase a copy of the Beano and came out with the Dino and oh. learned things. Oh, my God. I think they'd be traumatized from that, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this episode, he's interviewing a gentleman named Steve the Accelerator Pissing. Now, it's spelled P-I-S-I-N-G, <laughs> and again, in the in the DVD credits, it's he's Esquire. So, again, you get a law degree when you go on the show. But he's Steve. It's not Pising. Yeah. <laughs> it's not whatever any other uh, pronunciation you can think of. It's Pissing. Yep. And Steve is very proud of the fact that he's a Pissing and his family were all Pissing. And if he ever has kids, they'll be Pissing too. And although his wife will not take that name. <laughs> his wife will not take the name. And I did love the joke about no. – um, and I, I hate to jump ahead. Well um, – you know, I will jump ahead. It's it, it's an interview with, with Steve, and you get to see Steve, an old video from the 80s called Pissing in the Driving Seat, which is just a, a great sort of 80s, the kind of, it's it's the clip is the sort of thing you'd find like on a found footage festival kind of thing. It's it's something you'd find like on a on a thrift yeah. store, a shelf or something for like you know a dollar or fifty cents or oh, something. Oh God, yes. Yeah, and it's so it's so awesome. They get it. They get yeah, it. Yeah, and it's yeah. They do, and we find out all sorts of interesting things that aren't really that interesting. He's got a love of camels. Mm -hmm. um, he he's got a brother called Barry, who I think they have a big fallout later on. But yes. interestingly, I was trying to work out um, some of the cast. They they don't give the characters that they play on on IMDb, but there is um, an actor in this called Steve Holness, and I can't help wondering yes. if yes. that's Matthew Holness's brother. So Maybe. could it be his brother playing his fictional brother in this? I don't know. That's what but, I thought. Um, I tell you one thing that is impressive about the cast, though. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you you caught a glimpse of his wife Marie in this. Um, Steve Pissing's wife Marie. Um, and I you probably wouldn't have recognised her because it was a very quick glimpse. But she's actually the actress Sally Hawkins, who people will know now as being the lead role in The Shape of Water, the oh. the girl in that. And also the mother in the new version of Paddington and Paddington 2. Oh. So she's quite big at the moment. And here oh. she is as a tiny part in yes. in this. But, yeah, you're right. She said she wouldn't take on his she wouldn't take on his name. And it was suggested that, well, could she not use it as a middle name? And he said, no, because her because her surname is blood. <laughs> so that's <a> really <laughs> horrible. <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's the point where my he wife makes, said, I don't know. I don't know about this one. <laughs> <laughs> I know when they were talking about, you know, if they um, if they had children, um, if they adopted children, you know, would they take the name? And he said, well, no, because apparently calling a child pissing in this day and age is a form of child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, we did learn jumping ahead as well that uh, he they, him and his wife have been trying for a baby without any success. Oh, yes. And uh, there is a, a fantastic quote about the reasons why um, why they can't have a baby. Um, since my retirement my wife Marie and I have been trying for a baby but with no joy at all and it's been devastating for me Dean because as you know I want to continue the pissing name Um, (laughs) it's an old Anglo-Saxon name and regrettably it's dying out and I understand as yet your marriage has been without issue you got it in one Dean unfortunately the kind of temperatures generated in the driving seat during an average Formula 5 race are roughly the equivalent of a Breville toaster so Sadly, over the years, the tip of my shaft has become heat-sealed. Um, <laughs> bit like the corners of a toasted sandwich. Could you not try siphoning off some sperms? I'd love to, Dean, but the trouble is, after ten years on the track with my testes sizzling on a white-hot engine, everything down there's long since curdled. I should never be able to eat a Ginster's pie again without thinking of that. <laughs> Or a sausage roll. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's too bad to think that like uh, his last name being pissing, he apparently can't properly do that anymore. Well, I, I did don't. wonder about the logistics of that. Surely he'd be like a enormous water balloon or something by now. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't really yeah. want to think about it any more than that. <laughs> so let's uh, we'll hop on to um, um, this. This oh, okay. yes. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say about the the, the guy himself. Um, this mm. is one of the 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 characters that um, is played by the same actor who did um, Garth Marenghi, which is one of the the nice things about this is that uh, it's all fictional characters, um, but each of the people that's interviewed is played by the same actor, Matthew Holness, and um, in this case, it's one of the few that you. I don't know if you will over there, but over in the UK, we would recognise who he's supposed to be looking like. Um, Steve Pissing here is uh, a Formula 5 racing driver. Now, I don't know anything about racing racing and racing drivers and things. I don't even know if there is such a thing as Formula 5. I, I have no idea. But <laughs> know, Formula 1 like... was uh, yes. the one that we that we know of. Uh-huh. And, and there is a, a driver, there used to be a driver called Nigel Mansell who was very famous as a Formula One driver who had like big bushy eyebrows and a bushy moustache and looked uncannily like uh, Steve here but um, I have to be honest I've never heard him being interviewed or speaking or anything so I don't know if that's where the resemblance stops I couldn't say mm-hmm. yeah I, I as, as far as Formula oh, I, oh, I have no idea if he talks as much either <laughs> yeah, yeah Steve, Steve is great because Steve is um 
he he's not the, the joy of Steve is that he's not the most engaging of speakers, and yet he can't stop no. speaking. And um, he's there. There's something I find very charming about <laughs> Steve. He he doesn't. I, I will say he doesn't. I, and I guess it's because of Dark Place, but he doesn't. He doesn't strike me as strong, obviously, as Garth did. But on repeated viewings, <laughs> I liked Steve more. And watching it the second yeah, time, yeah. watching it the second time, I really got to feel for Steve because he he was this successful driver, and he got in this horrible accident. At well, we learn that that um, uh, Dean had a, a Formula Five team. Was it Team Dean? Does that sound right? I didn't write it down. That sounds like yes, something. yes, Dean, that's the right. Dean team, yeah, the Dean, the Dean team. team or something like that. Yes. And and um and Steve leaves it and has um you know what actually. I'm going to, uh, Steve has a terrible accident, and I'll let Steve tell you about it. Steve left the Dean thing with my blessing. I wish you the very best. But I warned you at the time that if you left me, things would not turn out well for you. <laughs> and I was right, wasn't I? True, it was an uncanny prediction, Dean, because in my first race with my new team, I had a terrible crash that effectively put the brakes on my entire career. <laughs> Which is ironic, because it was your brakes that failed during that race. <laughs> It's one of those things you just have to live with, Dean. I don't know how that brake cable became severed in 18 different places. <laughs> it's a mystery. Yeah. So, Now, the injuries you received were extensive. I mean, no-one was more surprised than me when you pulled through. <laughs> well, it was a horrific crash, Dean. I remember it like it was yesterday. The brakes failed, I hit the kerb, the car flipped, I went into a roll, slid on some oil, skidded into a tyre wall, bounced over the control tower onto a garage roof, <laughs> catapulted sideways into a tree, dropped down into the path of a speeding van, ricocheted back up into the tree, landed bonnet down in a skip, the petrol tank blew, the car exploded, the tree fell on the car, and at that point I became worried I might not make it. <laughs> My seat caught fire, the skip blew up, I started hearing gunshots. <laughs> then a pickup truck dumped 15 gallons of wet cement on top of me. When I was chiselled out of the wreckage, my pelvis was shattered, one arse cheek was hanging loose, the top of my head was leaking, and my spine had become severely compressed. Right. By how much? I was three foot five, Dean. And so it's a great kind of like Rube Goldberg-esque accident where he goes off of this and he lands on this and this falls yes. on him. And then I love, I love, and then I heard gunshots. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. And then a lorry, lorry tipped a load of cement on me. And then. <laughs> yeah, because, but it's because, even, even after, even after all this, it's the poor guy. Um, and he's still saying that, um. It's an uncanny prediction, he describes it, when when Dean had told him that he, he said, if you left me, things would not turn out well for you, he said. And, um, yeah, and I love this, that he said, it, you know, about the brakes failing, being severed in 18 different places. I don't know how. <laughs> and Dean says, no one was more surprised than me when you pulled through and then has a little glance to the camera, which says everything. So it's brilliant. But you... um, it's, a, it's a great it's a great sequence. And a poor Dean. <laughs> poor, not poor Dean, sorry. Poor, poor um <laughs> Poor Steve. You 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 kind of feel for him, uh, really, because you know he's got his 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 you know his he can't have the kids because of the ceiling off of the thing there, and he's got the accident, yeah. and he just he feels like That's he's been <laughs> yeah he feels like he's been dropped on his head a lot, or had things dropped on his head a lot. I know. 
Well, he, he had been really successful because not only was a household name, but he'd also won Sports Personality of the Year three times, even up against the likes of John Parrott. Who's a famous snooker player? So you know he he obviously did, re- and, and he even ha- he's the, the inevitable hit single, "Driving Me Crazy," which they also mentioned may have ripped off Chaz and Dave. Um, and I don't know if that means anything to you. That does, it, that, Chaz and that Dave? does not. I I had thought uh, right before we started recording, I thought it, maybe they it was like Jan and Dean, and I was told no. Please tell us about Chaz and Dave. <laughs> you could. You could not be more wrong. Um, Chaz and Dave were a couple of like beardy blokes that used to sit at a piano and bash out um, sing-along, catchy songs. They're very Cockney, Cockney guys. Um, just they they had a big hit called Rabbit, as in somebody talking a lot. Rabbit, 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 and and it was is a very sort of Cockney. Um, almost a novelty act but not really but they played these characters in this act so nothing like Jan and Dean <laughs> or uh, Torval and Dean or any anyone yeah. like that well Jan and Dean did out uh, Jan and Dean did have an album called Jan and Dean meet Batman which came out when the 60s Batman series was on oh and it's them pretending to be Batman and Robin <laughs> and getting in it getting in and it's it's a mix oh. of it's a mix of sketches with them like going after villains but they weren't cop the copyright rule was that they could sing about the Joker and the Riddler and Catwoman, but they couldn't do sketches about them. So the sketches, <laughs> the sketches are all about right. them go, going after like made-up villains. But then there'll be a song about the Joker. And so, so sometimes Janet Dean went right, right. novelty, but they certainly weren't big beardy guys. At least not that I know. Right. No, no, no. These were. But I mean, I have to admit, I never knew a lot about Jan and Dean until quite late in life, because the only reason I heard who they were later was when I saw the the TV movie about them. And I have to include that because that will impress people like you and Amanda Reyes. Yes. (laughs) So that's me throwing in that I've seen a TV movie that you've heard of. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that was. Well, that's another podcast, my Jan and Dean cast. Which Gore might join me for to talk about. There you that go. Um, what, so, so <laughs> what, what, when I think of Chaz and Dave and like two guys, is it, is it is it sort of like? And if I'm completely wrong, I'm editing this out. But is it sort of like the more like sitting in a piano version of a band? Like what is it? Is it Slade who had like Merry Christmas, everybody kind of thing where they had all like Come on, feel the noise where they would oh. spell words like l- spell words wrong. <laughs> no, 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 much no. Okay. much smaller. It's um, it's the kind of thing where it's they would, they're trying to be the kind of thing where you sit around a piano in a pub in the East End in London, and not the glittering East End of London, mind you, the, the East End of London, and you'd be singing these kind of wartime songs that people would sing um, in the air shower, things like this, roll out the barrels, and you know, and this kind of stuff. But some of it being their own stuff that they've written, but it's very much that kind of feel okay. to it, okay. that sort of sing along type stuff. So right. yeah, okay. not not Jan and Dean. Okay. <laughs> So uh, I, I don't remember. We, we, so we pissed in the driver's seat. Let's go on to the learner, shall we? The the there is um, the, pissing the, in the driver's seat, not pissed in the driver's seat. Oh, sorry. Uh, well, that I was going to say pissed in the driver's seat. You'd be breathalyzed. Um, I forget what I was saying. Oh yeah. Um, so so Steve's thing now is that he has a place called Pissing Parts where he sells auto parts. And um, yes. and he, he works there with his yeah. brother, Barry, until they had the falling out. And it was a falling out over like a windshield wiper or something. I was going to say, do you remember what um, guided him to that career? No, I don't. 
Ah, right. This is this I remembered. It was um, when he had his big accident and um, he wasn't supposed to have survived, as uh, Dean put it. Um, he he while he was sort of dead for a little while, he saw the face of God, he said, mm. uh, which looked a bit like Uncle Al, but from Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> and he managed to have a good chat with him for an hour about opening a car parts business. And that's oh, the sort of, you know, that kind of steered him in that direction to open this this uh, pissing parts <laughs> and he, he, well, he the pissing parts seems a bit of a strange thing for him to call himself after what we were saying earlier about his crimped pasty thing oh yeah that's yes steve hooks up with <laughs> with with uh, dean and they produ- and we see a, several minutes of a show called the learner which is um i guess based on the apprentice which which i haven't seen if you'd like to do a little apprentice uh talk now, I don't know if The Apprentice is exactly the same in the US as it is in the UK, possibly is. But um, in this situation, which is very much the UK version, they you have like the boss character, which is Dean, and he's assisted by a male character, uh, which is Steve in this in this case, and a female character who in this case is a, a busty blonde <laughs> uh, called Mary Lou. Um, who who is his financial advisor? I think he describes her as, but she doesn't yes. really say anything. Right? He's just there with the knockers, and um, and they interview a group of very unlikely people for a job, which is I think it's something like night security person yes, or yes. something. Anyway, so they interview them. They give them trial of doing things and stuff. They, he sends all the the male applicants off with Steve, and they're sent down to look at parts and find parts and do things like this. And the the woman Martine, he sends her. He says, uh, "Soap down the jag with me and Mary Lou." So there you go. So so her and the other busty woman are basically out the front, soaping down his Jaguar, um, leaning forward a lot and bending over a lot and stuff like this. Um, but yes, and then he has to decide which of the people he, he keeps. And when he's giving feedback to all the men, he's really harsh and quite rude to them. Yes. And then when he gets to Martini, he's quite softly spoken to her. And uh, and we see him hiring her and then driving off with her in a in a in a car and telling her to phone her dad and tell her she won't be able, tell him she won't be home till late. Yes. <laughs> And, and the, I, think the, I mean, the, but that's not. I mean, that, she obviously does well because um, he he also mentions that at, uh, in a later episode, Martin and Satu are seen having a cat fight on a bouncy castle. So that's yes. one to look forward to. Yeah, she has. She got a good career now. It's too bad he cut down on the harem in his his uh, his, his apartment there. But uh, yes. he's pro- he's probably got a bedroom <laughs> for her to stay in, or they all stay yeah. in one big. I, I I like to think that Dean has a um, like a heart shaped bed that revolves. But I don't know that for certain. He actually probably yeah, has a. I, got, I would imagine so, with silky red sheets or something. Yes, or he's got one that's just shaped like his head or something like that, and his hair is like the pillow, and you kind oh. of grab you grab the mustache, <laughs> and it's like a sheet, and you pull it over yourself. The dean, the dean bed. Oh, God, <laughs> give you nightmares that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. I imagine there'd be a big room full of all these all these blonde, big-breasted women having pillow fights and things like that. In just a big room, that's what I imagine he would have rather than individual bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I do wonder if if Dean is more of um, I, because just the way he watches the the car washing and the pillow fights, I wonder if he's I, I figure he's hands-on because he mentions something about uh, in the previous episode when he's talking about mackerel. He mentions that if he goes out and has a big mackerel yes. meal with a lady, and then he comes home, he says, "I need an hour before we do anything because you don't want that mackerel reappearing during the act of love." 
which is which is so gross. Um, but but I do wonder if, if Dean is more of a um, like a like a looker, like a voyeur kind of um, than a than a hands on kind of guy. He prefer to have three or yes, four women. Yes, because. Yeah, when that when the two women are outside soaping up the jag and and leaning all over it and bending over and stuff, he stood there watching. And uh, Steve comes out or someone comes out and says, "Do you want a coffee?" And he says, "No, no." And he starts to ask the women, "No, they don't want. They don't want one." Yes, <laughs> sends them away. Um, and I do like Steve's. Steve, I think Steve's last line in the episode as as Dean's gotten rid of all the guys and he calls one like a toilet. He says, you're an effing toilet or something like that to him, which yes, seemed, yes. I don't know if that's yes. standard apprentice talk. That seemed a little harsh to me. But uh, yeah, he, he was very mean with them. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he sends. Uh, oh, oh, so he's 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 kind of got Martine and, and taken her into the back of his 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 car. And as Steve is kind of walking away. And the last thing Steve says is something like the car's too clean. And then he just walks away, which I which I like. Yes. You know, it's it's sort of like there's um. Uh, yeah, he's not in, happy. Yeah, yeah. In, in uh, it, it reminds me of uh, the Marx Brothers in A Night at the Opera. There's a scene near the end of that where the Marx Brothers invade the office of the head jerk who's running the opera, who's got them fired, and it's before the Marx Brothers are about to save the day. And they're in his office, smoking his cigars, drinking all his drinks, and um, and they start insulting him. And one of the insults they give him is uh, it's something like, uh, you don't have enough cigars, you don't have this. And Chico like holds up a glass and says, your ice isn't cold enough. You know, it's kind of an insult like that. Sort of like, it's, it's, it's kind <laughs> yes. of strange, vague yeah. insult. Yeah. Th- that is an insult, but it's not quite, the car's too clean. And then he wa- that's all he's got. You know, that's all yeah. he has. You know, can I, one of my favorite moments and the one that wait I think made my wife laugh the hardest at this episode was when Steve is talking about all the skin that's come off of his body and that his legs are down to the final layer oh, of skin. Yes. And so the only way he if he needs to freshen yes. up, the only way he can keep clean is by using wet wipes from Kentucky Fried Chicken. So if he needs to keep clean he has to make a trip yes. down to the old colonel. <laughs> Yes, which gives another mini rant to yes. Dean, who has a big rant about wet wipes in the ivy, which yes. is like a really, really, it's like where all the celebrities go for, for food, the ivy. And he has a big rant about that. But yeah, he talks about his legs and, and he describes his his legs as like um, two tubes of pate. Something with really revolting image. <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh. it's so you're so, i mean there there is a sequence where they um you learn that that steve lost all his back hair and you see a, like an infomercial where his back hair is put oh, back on yes him, that's right which yes. um which isn't as gross yes as he's two been, legs like pat yeah it's fairly gross <laughs> it's really funny he's become yeah he's sort of like having this big formula one career and all this you know and the the hit single and all the rest of it he's now gone down to being the the spokesman for a hair restoral company uh, but not just a hair restore but for back hair restoral yes. <laughs> after all the stress of the accident and everything like that so yes it's like, oh and you actually uh. see him having the treatment and then you see like a before and after shot <laughs> <laughs> which looks a bit like the american werewolf in london doesn't it yes. that scene yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, oh, I, I, I think I, I'm looking at my notes here, and I got one more thing. Uh, I one more thing I want to uh, say. That's um, uh, Steve during the learner segment. So you cut from Dean, who is watching two attractive women wash a car, uh, and then Steve is just going around with yep. these poor guys. And the thing about these, the candidates who are obviously going to get rejected from moment one. 
um, uh, is that they all generally seem to be trying real hard. There, it's not like any of them are sort of slagging off. Yes. But the pro- but the problem <laughs> is if they're it's because they're meant to be night security guards. But Dean is like taking them through, showing them how to you know like stack up. It, it's basically it's the supply warehouse. And Dean is, uh, not Dean, a uh, Steve is showing yeah, them how to. Yeah, it's, it's a bit. I think that might be a continuity thing. It's a little bit vague about that. It's a bit confusing because I think when we're first introduced to them, they're they're being intro- they're being interviewed for a trainee post or something. Then it becomes they mention a night security post, and then they're going through like the sort of stock taking and things in the yes. parts and finding parts and stocking the. You know, so I think that might be just. I don't know if that's deliberate or not, but it does seem to change a yes, couple of times I, what they're actually I, doing but i think the point was the way they're being interviewed rather than what they're being yeah, interviewed for yes, but it yeah. is a little bit confusing oh i i'll just uh, my two thoughts with that scene is that one i i wonder if it is deliberate yeah. just because we already know who dean's gonna pick so who cares what the job yes, is yes um because they're not going to be working in Definitely. the parts place anyways they're going to be at dean dean towers um and two I just love how seriously yeah. Steve does take it because he's like he rounds a corner with one yes. guy and the guy has stacked like windshield wipers uh, on the edge of a like um like a, a, sh- shel- a huge shelving unit and and Steve is like how many you, you put 10 up here yes I know you chose 10 because it was a nice round number but what if I'm bent leaning over doing something and I go underneath this I mean they're not that 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 tough but if they follow me they could blind me so never put more than seven up, and it's great because Steve is being so serious. And he, but but you know that nothing he's doing is actually meaning anything because Dean's already made the choice. So Steve is no, is try, <laughs> it doesn't he's, make he's any trying, difference. He's trying hard. I wonder if even even he is like uh, maybe I he's know. even sort of sussed out what's going on, and he's like, okay, um, the windshield wipers, the the things. Even he maybe he's <laughs> even given up on trying to feel like. He's, he any of this means anything for him and i hope not steve never give up hope yeah steve. yeah hold, hold on but i that, know th- poor old guy yes yeah, so what, what, what did you think overall for the episode then compared to the first one um the the, the first time i watched this one i wasn't too gung-ho on it um uh, steve steve is very uh he he talks a lot and he's very uh sort of low-key ish um as opposed to garth who the ego of Garth is so wonderful and just everything about Garth is just it feels more fleshed out to me than Steve does having said that the second time I watched it I liked it a lot more um, having watched um, most yeah. of the series yeah. through returning to it I liked seeing Steve the second time and um, being a little more familiar with him and I, I guess maybe what it is is when he when Garth showed up I knew Garth's story more or less, so it was just adding on. Whereas Steve, I yes, knew nothing yes. about. And so by the time I got to the end, and he's yeah, walking Garth away, Garth was already well established. Yeah. Yes, and Steve's got his briefcase, and he's saying the car's too clean, and he's kind of walking away as his his um you know um the guy he's working for or the guy he's supposed to be partnering with is getting into a Jaguar with a beautiful young woman, and he's just slumping away, you know, with his you know sealed off shaft and his briefcase, just slumping, you know, just being un. Unhappy, he's doing what with of. his sealed off shaft? He's what? Huh? What? What, what uh, slumping away? What does that mean? I just made that up. That's kind of um, uh, it's kind of like schlepping was, away. I, just, what does that mean? Uh, I I don't know. It's kind of like he's that sounds um, worse. 
It's um, I I guess I think I kind of made that word up. It's a little early where I am, folks. Forgive me. Um, but I think it's just kind of okay. he's, he's kind of like he's he's got his head is is hung down and his kind of shoulders are slumped and he just kind of he he can't even you know get up the you know maybe to say something like hey she's fine but maybe this person was better. He's just like he says something vague quietly and just kind of doop doo doop doo doop doo doop kind of walks away I sadly. See. So I'm calling that schlumping yeah, away. Yeah. That's my new term for that. But uh, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> when when I knew when I knew Steve's story, going back and watching it a second time, I enjoyed it a lot more. And so that. What about you? Um. Yeah. Same. I think. Yeah. I get. Uh, yeah. Good point about Garth. We, he's a lot more established with us. We know about him. We know what he's like. So this was just building on that really so you know we had a head start with garth so that's the difference this one was completely new and it's such a different character um you know garth like you said is all ego and and all this whereas this guy is much more subdued and and more sort of you feel a bit sad for this guy um so it's quite a quite a gear change really to use a appropriate metaphor for someone who's doing racing um i they i think they Either they overmilked the the pissing joke a bit. It went on and on to the point where it was like, okay, we get it, we get it. There were a couple of times it was funny, and it's like, all right, that's enough now. Um, but apart from that, it's still got quite a few funny lines in it, and it was still good. And I like that this was um, the first time it was a reference to an actual person, whether it's just visible or you know visual or not. It was a reference to someone I could sort of recognize um but i also liked as well that we see a lot more of dean's character the uh dark and sinister side of him yes. the sort of um gangstery type thing and the sleazier side as well so it was a bit more about dean in that respect so mm-hmm. again a good a good episode yeah i liked it there, there's there, you you brought up a when you mentioned garth i think the thing with the the two characters is that they both share in common is that they were both they're both, or Steve was, incredibly successful at what they did. Steve was a great race car driver before that horrible accident. And Garth is an incredibly successful author. The difference being that I feel like Garth is a really bad writer. He's just able to channel something, and he has the right publicity, and, and people will buy his stuff. Whereas I feel like Steve was probably a really good driver in order to do that. But he did something yes. Garth never did, which is he went against Dean and Dean punished him. So now he's second in command to Dean working at pissing parts. Whereas Garth Garth is never yes. going to Garth is never going to go against Dean because Garth is the only thing in his universe. So Dean is just something that comes in every yeah. once in a while, yeah. asks talks to him for a bit, maybe takes some of his money, but he doesn't care because he's already had six books out this month and he's made millions. So there, there's kind of an interesting in that you have yeah, a, yeah. a c- character who I would say is probably not talented, but has hit the hit the the sort of niche where he needs to be and is is making hand over fist making cash. Whereas you had someone who was talented but is now kind of on a downturn, and which it makes it sad. Now the more I say yes, it, maybe I shouldn't have very, ended on that. Very good. Um, yeah. Very maybe good. maybe um maybe tell us a, a mm. maybe a good joke or something. Uh, Gore, you have a dirty limerick or anything you can share with us before we wrap up? <laughs> dirty limerick. <laughs> no, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that's a good point, actually. I think it's a, a really good observation that the, the complete contrast between them. And I think um, that's that's one of the things that's interesting about this series is because the characters aren't all just shades of Garth Marenghi. It does actually 
work a bit like uh, a portfolio for Matthew Holness yeah. for yeah. what he's able to do, the different characters. I mean, this one has got a similar kind of sort of voice to yes. Garth. He's got a similar, similar-ish accent. It's not quite the same, but it's similar-ish. It's a little bit Australian-y at times, actually. But so, but apart from that, it's a very different character, which he does so well. You believe that he's the character. Yeah. And, um, and we'll see more of, more of these coming up as well, where he does completely different but but again it introduces a, a bit of pathos and i think comedy yes. works better when you've got pathos in there to to balance against it you know to balance yeah. it and i think it does that you do feel a bit sorry for him so no, i think i i think it was it was quite good and and like i said before about the first time i watched these i was disappointed because they weren't garth Marenghi's dark place yes. too mm-hmm. um like i said if you get past that they're actually very good in their own in their own right yeah and i and i think the the fact that the like you said with the pathos is that we're never going to get that with garth even if garth has a uh, you know the, the, the head fell on him you know and that was terrible but he was joking the whole time and yeah he lost his ear but whatever but I, I, you, we're never going to get pathos with yeah. Garth. So it's nice that we get it with other characters. And it's nice, too, that it isn't one of those shows where every single character is someone who's, like, on, on a downturn or, like, someone who was successful and yeah. is now, like, yeah. in the toilet or something. We have Garth just as a shining yeah. example of the his, his oeuvre, the, the 40,000 pages or whatever it was. You know, we have someone going strong. Even Steve doesn't seem to mind selling the auto parts. I don't think he likes the learner so much though no <laughs> no but then as you said he may know that it doesn't really matter what he thinks <laughs> yes, about the did. candidates yeah. and things so he's not really gonna he's gonna go through all this and it's a bit of a an act he's got to go through it all to you know yeah. uh, it's inevitable who's going to get it so yeah so he's probably fed up with that <laughs> so uh so gore where can we find you online Right. Well, um, my podcast, Trilogy of Terror podcast, has its own website now. So you can find out the links to the different things on there. That's at trilogyofterrorpodcast.com, which is all one word. You can find me on Twitter at I am Gore Blimey, all one word again. And um, the Trilogy of Terror podcast also has its own Facebook page and Instagram account. Um, so you can find me in those places. Thank you again for, for joining me for this. And next up. Oh yeah, the next one. The next one's a very interesting character, I think, and we won't. I won't say it here. But um, thank you, uh, everyone, mm. for listening to Dan the Man with Gore Blimey. And yes, I've got to say it. Say the word one more time before we go. <clears throat> Pissing. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Where can you find us online? AventureSuperTrain.blogspot.com. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. Feel free to leave a review. At eSuperTrain1 on Twitter. EventuallySuperTrain on Facebook. EventuallySuperTrain at Yahoo.com is the email address. Hope you enjoyed the show. We will see you back next time for episode 67, I think. Talk to you then. <laughs>